0: Psalms 127 and verse 1. I want to read to you from that chapter and I'm going to stay a lot into the in verse 1, but it says except the Lord build the house. Everyone say build the house. Build the house. I'm reading in Psalms 127 verse 1. They labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain, unless except Jehovah. The ASV says, except Jehovah build the house. They labor in vain that build it, except Jehovah keep the city. The watchman waketh, but in vain. Let's pray together. Jesus, we understand this is your place in your house, and we want you to build this house. And we want you to build it not for tough, but God tough. So we're thankful for the opportunity. We're thankful for the the ability to go to your word, and we're asking you now to minister to our hearts through it. In Jesus' name, and someone said, "Amen." Amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. I envision when I see God moving I envision God literally building the house brick by brick and each brick being a soul that he wins and, and he's building the walls and he's building the foundation and really the scripture tells us there's no foundation other than that which has been laid which is Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone of that foundation and and that we are built up as a church upon Christ and his sacrifice and, and, and the church itself is not only a place where we can be exhorted and lifted up and built but it is also a place where we understand that if God doesn't move here, if God doesn't work here we're wasting our time, amen and it even says in the scripture here that I read to you that even if, if we don't understand that Jehovah builds the house Jehovah is the one that is responsible for building the house and growing it. That, that if we don't see that, that even the watchman, someone trained to protect the city, someone who has skills, someone who has, is maybe a warrior, someone who has the abilities to, to defend and to be in a defensive posture, to war and push back against something that is attacking. It says that that watchman gets up in vain if God doesn't keep the city. Have you ever been kept by God before? Has there ever been a moment where God kept you? I'm grateful for that. The Bible tells us that we, we have to realize that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. God chose us, not buildings with brick and walls and foundations, but he chose us to be his temple. So it says... Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? In 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, it says, who lives in you and was given to you by God. He said, you've received the Holy Ghost. He's speaking to the Corinthians. They've already been baptized in Jesus' name. Fill the Holy Ghost. He said, you've got that spirit in you, and that spirit is in you because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You do not belong to yourself given the previous fact that the holy spirit is in you you do not belong to yourself but you belong to god amen First Peter 2 9 through 17 says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people I always like that one you're weird <laughs> you're just one big book of crazy No, you're, peculiar means that you are unique you are a unique people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his not just light but his marvelous light amen which in times past you we were which in times past were not a people but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy dearly beloved I beseech you or I adjure you or whatever you want to say there I I charge you that you were as strangers and pilgrims before you have obtained from, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. In other words, don't let your flesh just be driven by lust, which are, which war against the soul. They literally come against your soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Amen. The conversation here, that word means as long as you're following along, having your conversation in the translation of the the writings of the New Testament that word conversation means behavior having your behavior honest among the gentiles that where as they speak against you as elders they may be your they may by your good works which they sh- uh, shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation I've heard people say, and me and Ben, were you and I were just talking about this, about how can you give more glory to God than he already has? How is it possible when we talk about coming here and worshiping, we're like, let's give glory to God. How can you give glory to God? It's impossible. He already has all glory, all power, all dominion. Amen? But the way that you give glory to God is found right here in the scripture. Dearly beloved, don't let yourself be led by fleshly things because it wars against the soul, having your actions honest um, among the the world or Gentiles whereas you speak of evildoers but your good works what you do will glorify God in the day of visitation or when he's here while we walk on this earth and while God is present our personal behavior can give glory to God what we do either honors him or dishonors him amen Hallelujah. So the Bible says submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. When you're driving 95 in a 55, you are not submitting yourself to every ordinance of man. Amen? The scripture tells us to abide by the laws of the land. Whenever the the Pharisees came to Jesus trying to catch him in a question, they said, whose inscription is on that coin? He said, well, Jesus told them whose inscription is on the coin. And they said, see And he said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. He's talking about the taxes of the day and the ordinances of the world that we live in. We need to pay our taxes. We need to do what's right so that there is no charge. There is no no, um, judgment that can be brought against the people of God in their conversation or behavior. So when someone says, yeah, they're just doing that to show off, excuse me. They're just doing that to prove that they're a Christian. You can be honest and you can be humble and you don't you're not malicious in any way saying, well, I'm this good because you're that bad. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you do it because it glorifies God Almighty. You abide by the ordinances of the land. You live by the laws of the land. And you do all of these things in your behavior because God gets the glory for it. So you can give more glory to God by your free will choice to live your life in a way that glorifies him as the temple of the Most High. I can't think of any greater way than to adorn yourself as the temple with holiness. Amen? As to give yourself to behavior that when people see you, they go, that is a man who is loving. That is a woman who is kind and charitable. What is different about them? It speaks from the outside to what's on the inside. Something has got to be inside of you for you to be valuable to this world. The world doesn't care about what you're driving who you are and what you do if they know you don't care they don't care but if they see something on the outside of you on the temple of your life that speaks to something on the inside there's value there and they want to know what is it that is in you have you ever gone to somebody's house before and you're supposed to meet them and all the lights are off and you're like i don't know did they leave without me i- I went to a business this morning. I was going to get an illustration for this sermon, and uh all the lights were off, and nobody was there and I felt weird. I felt kind of creepy sitting in the parking lot, waiting for the place to open up have you ever you know what I'm saying? Have you ever had a situation where where you walked up to something and like you knew nobody was there because all the lights were off? Well, that's the way it is with us. We have to keep a flame burning on the inside, so it says For so is the will of God I'm getting back to the scripture that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. With your well-doing with your good doings you silence men that come against or speak against God. That's how glory given to God works. And so and so is the will of God that With your well-doing, you silence the ignorance of foolish men as free. You're free. Your good works are because you're free. And not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. You see what it's saying there? You're not using it to get back at people in any way. You're not going to be malicious about it. When they talk bad about you, you don't turn around and give them ten reasons why you're not that. You know what I'm saying? You don't attack. You, you just let your works talk for you. You let your fruits speak for you. As the servants of God, honoring all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Interesting, isn't it? That Peter wrote about so much stuff. So I want to speak to you a little bit about keeping the light on in your life because it's really important. Um, when you look at the scripture, I was I was studying here and, and I realized that unless God builds the house, and how did God choose to build the house? Well, he chose to put his spirit inside the temple, inside the tabernacle, amen? And the tabernacle, the spirit is represented by a flame of fire. And if you go through the scripture, you find different places where the fire was kept by the keepers of the temple. And so, but I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I remember Anybody remember a guy by the name of Tom Bodet? You know who Tom Bodet is? Remember him? He was a spokesperson for motel six and and he was trying to break in to the commercial business and he went to ad, to an ad agency that was that was actually put an ad out that we're going to do commercials for this hotel chain and we want you to come in addition and so Tom Bodet shows up in his blue jeans and just a shirt, you know, and he's coming and he's got a great voice and he's going to just, he's going to, and he's a decent, I mean, beginning actor and he wants to, you know, get on stage and, and show him that. So they give him these lines to do and they have him like do his audition and at the end, he forgot his line. The the closing line that he was supposed to say, he forgot it. And so there was people, you know, higher-ups of Motel 6 sitting out there marketing people. And and he was doing his thing. And he's like, we'll leave the light on for (laughs) you. He didn't even, he just something, because he had forgotten his lines, he just threw it out there. And they about fell out of their chairs. They loved it so much. They made it their national slogan. How many have ever heard Motel 6, we'll leave the light on for you? Why is that the case? Because... For some reason, having somebody leave a light on for you means something to somebody. It means that you're welcome here. You're, you, there's something here for you. We, we thought of you before you arrived. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I want you to know that God always wanted the flame and the power of the Holy Ghost to be evident at the house of God. He wanted us to prepare and leave the light on for somebody before they ever walk through the doors. Amen? So what we have to, um, I'm just preaching, I guess. I'm getting excited. So we have to leave the light on for somebody that doesn't even know they're going to come next week, next month, next year. They're going to be here and they're going to visit and we have to be the ones who spend time in prayer and in fasting and get our spiritual edge and know that God's flame is burning in the house because the greatest tragedy is to have the flame go out at the house of God. It is a great tragedy and the Bible instructs us, instructs that it is not to happen and we see in the scripture that when Samuel, as child ministered Hannah brought Samuel to the temple of the Lord and gave Samuel and he was given for the ministry of the temple she consecrated her child and gave him to the priest in order to raise him and, and build him up so that he was designed to minister in the temple and Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli the scripture tells us that in uh, 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 13, I'm reading, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. In other words, God didn't speak very often. And when he spoke, everybody, it was so precious that everybody wanted, if, if we had this kind of environment, this place would be packed. We'd be changing church environment every single week. If the word of God was, was closed and only a few could hear God, when God spoke, the place would be packed because it becomes so precious to people because they would feel lost without God speaking. But God speaks to each one of us. And so what we have is we have a no open vision. And it came to pass at the time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim and he did not see. And ere the lamp, look here, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple. It was never supposed to be allowed to go out. The the priests in the temple were supposed to monitor the lamp of God and never let the flame go out because the flame represented the spirit of God and he was wanting always to be in the temple. So the the lamp went out and Samuel laid down to sleep. How tragic it is whenever a a church lays down and goes to sleep and the lamp of God goes out at the church. How, How tragic is it whenever the eyes and the vision of a church are so dimmed that they can't see, and they become they come become feeble and they become tired and they become exhausted and they let the flames go out at the house of God. It is tragic and it drives my soul to the point of prayer because I don't want the flame to ever go out in this place. Like we had when we got done with worship and we said, forget everything else. Let's get to the altar. Let's get the fire of God moving in this place. Let's make sure that in this house they can't write Ichabod above the door, the spirit of the Lord has departed. Let's make sure that there are keepers of the temple at the house of God today. Let's make sure that we're keeping this temple and we're keeping this temple. Let's make sure that the fire of God is falling in this place and we have this power and the anointing of God on our life. In some way, we've got to understand that we can fall asleep as a church. We can get dim in the eyes. We cannot see God's vision. And the next, very next thing that happens when a church falls asleep and when a church loses their vision is they let the fire of the Holy Ghost go out. And it becomes all about programs and it becomes all about everything that everybody's doing in their department, but there's nothing moving at the house of God. And he said... The Lord called to Samuel and he answered. The prophet Eli had already gone to sleep and the fire had gone out in the tabernacle and the Lord called to Samuel. As soon as that happened, as soon as Eli let the fire go out, God began to raise up the next man. Never think we're not expendable. I'm sorry, we are. If we step out of God's will, we are, not that God doesn't love us just as much, yeah. but he will begin to speak to some other willing soul. Yeah. And if I've watched, I've been through church growth so much, sister. I've watched as churches have grown and they used to call it scaffolding. There's some people that are just scaffolding. They're around the outside of the church and they help build the church. But once the church is built to a certain point, they, they no longer stay. They, they move on. My my wife and I helped build a church in Virginia. Did you know from the time we started there till this point now there's not a single person that is still at that church when we were there and that church is still growing. But sometimes things cycle and ebb and flow and things change and people's lives change and they move on to different careers and and maybe the job picks up in Colorado and they move there. Different things change like that, man. It happens all the time. I've watched people come here and then move to North Carolina. The Goodmans did that. Love the Goodmans. God's replacing them. I know He is. But guess what? Even in all of that, even though God can bring scaffolding down around the church, He's still responsible to build His church. And what we've done in America is as we've leaned ourselves toward programs that so we can see multiplication in the church whenever God never designed it that way. He said, I will add to the church daily, such as should be saved. Because the only way to truly make a disciple is if you do it by addition. If you do it by multiplication, you just have people coming. You just have Amway. You have a crowd. It's not, it's not just you, you have a church within a church. You have people who are the core, but there's just all of this scaffolding around the church and they may be living for God they may not be living for God they may have gotten high last night and showed up on Sunday morning because they like how good one of the praise singers looks you know there's all kinds of reasons why people come to church but I'm telling you if you let God build the church he does it by addition he adds one at a time and he just keeps adding he builds line upon line precept upon precept that's how he's always done it that's how he has always done it And so we have to trust the addition process while the world is reaching for multiplication. They build large campuses, put up a big billboard, they get 200 people to show up, but are they discipling souls? I'm not knocking anybody, don't get me wrong. I'd like to have that kind of thing, but I'm not going there because I want a big campus. We have decided, and I hope you're with this vision, and I believe you are because you joined this church, is we want to grow people and send them. Grow people and send them. If we get to 500 people, we are wanting to cap out. Now I know when you get to 500 people, you just kind of explode to 1000 Pretty quick, I realize that it happens almost auto- automatically. But but when we get to five hundred people, we're planting a church. We're sending out thirty or fifty planting a church. We get we get to I mean we get to three hundred. We're planting a church. I don't care when we plant a church, but we're planting churches. We're we're not just going to stay here and suck it all in for ourselves and soak it up like some sort of Holy Ghost sponge and just get fat on the spirit. We're not doing that. We're actually going to grow and learn and replace and replace ourselves and. Duplicate ourselves and let God add to the church through us, and in doing so, we will shed our light and shine our light in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. I've got an amalgamation of thoughts going on here, and I apologize, but that this is what's coming out of me right now because I'm praying for this with everything in me. So, Eli hears the voice of the Lord. The Lord called to Samuel, I'm sorry, to Samuel. The Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Notice something with me. When God spoke to Samuel, it sounded like his pastor's voice. (laughs) Got that one in there. (laughs) It sounded like the spiritual head, the spiritual authority in his life. He recognized it as his spiritual authority, but he didn't recognize the voice. And so he runs to Eli and says, you called me? He said, I didn't call you. And so he went back and laid down and you know the story. And then he hears God again and he arises. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And so... And the Lord called to Samuel again a third time and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am and thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that it was the Lord that was calling the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, go and lie down and, and it shall be and he will call thee and, and thou shalt say, speak Lord for thy servant here. Notice that the word of the Lord was scarce but God chose to speak to a child because no one else was listening. Danger of not listening to the voice of God. For thy servant heareth. So Samuel went, laid down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, and called as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do the thing do a thing in Israel, at which the both the ears of every one that heareth shall tingle. In the days I will perform against Eli all the things that I've spoken concerning his house. His, he was a, it was a mess. It was one big, hot mess. His kids, were, his kids were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. He wasn't correcting them as the priest. And when I, So the Bible says, when I begin, I will also make an end. When I begin, I will also make an end. It's really important that you get that. It's very powerful. When God begins something, he ends something else. And God's beginning something new at life spring this year twenty fifteen is going to be a new thing. I promise you that I feel it in my spirit, and we might be running sixty by the end of the year. I don't know we might be we might be running thirty, but I believe God's going to do something amazing this year. I really do i th- I'm, I don't know where we're going to end up I don't even know what environment I'm going to be preaching in time time we get toward the end of 2015 but I know God's going to do something awesome you know I, I do believe that and so when God begins something new, he ends something else. And I, So I'll read the rest of this and I'll come back to that point. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. He knew of the iniquity, but he didn't do anything about it. Because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. He restrained them not. There are people in this congregation right now that I have to talk to that I have to speak to. I don't want your mind to drift to them, but there are people in this congregation right now that I'm going to leave this service and I'm going to go speak to them because I know of something. And as a pastor, I have to deal with it and I have to ask them to restrain themselves in that behavior. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because of the fact that I know it. in Israel, so I wanted to talk to you just for a minute about 2015, And the Bible even says that we should actually speak to those people who act disorderly. We should actually address them in public. Can you imagine? Paul said, to correct them publicly, to bring them up, stand them here and say, you've been doing thus and so. It is not good for Christians to do that behavior. And I want to ask you, please stop as a member of this congregation. You are giving a poor testimony For God in public can you imagine doing that it'd be like us two and no more by the end of the year if I did that (laughs) literally we'd be like singing kumbaya together all three of us if you embarrass people in the house of God they go somewhere else they hop to the next closest church because we have cars nowadays Soon as somebody gets a car, it seems like they leave Lifespring. <laughs> it's like I want to drive to a bigger church. <laughs> I don't. I'm just joking with you. You know what I mean. Whenever, whenever someone needs to be corrected, there are times when I know their spirit would receive it, and there are times when I know they would not, and I have to be wise in that. But if we were to do it the way Paul did it, it'd be. It'd be amazing. The only thing that I lean up on is God does not embarrass his bride. And so even though Paul was strong and would admonish people publicly, and he said, because of fear of being admonished publicly, others will live for the Lord in good behavior. That is true because we're sheep, right? One gets spanked, the other ones don't want to get spanked. You know, <laughs> kids are kids are like that. They're like, Oh, I don't want to stick my hand in the cookie jar because My sister got in trouble for that. (laughs) You know, they're just real sneaky. Get a whole lot more sneaky. But that's what Paul said. If you openly rebuke one in the congregation, others will abstain from that behavior out of fear. And I don't see us living for God out of fear very long. If you don't learn how to love him and serve him other than from fear, you will not stay living for God. Fear is often what brings people to an altar and gets them full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It gets them baptized because they're afraid to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to, I don't want to live a life of eternity without God. So fear can bring people to God. That's okay. It's okay to have someone respond from a concern for their eternal salvation. That's okay. But you cannot stay living in fear with God. It will not sustain you. Pretty soon that will get dulled and you won't even try. You won't even come to service anymore because, eh, I'll get it next week. You see what I'm saying? Am I talking too plain today? Am I being too real? Can you handle the truth? <laughs> so anyways, I wanted to show you this. You can black out that screen. Thank you. Um, don't you love it when I do this? <laughs> I write stuff on the board and you don't know about it, and then you come in here and I have it all ready. I want to show you that this is what I... I feel like God wants me to talk to you about. 2014 is 2 plus 0 plus 1 plus 4 equals 7. That's, 7 is the word of completion in the, in the Scriptures, in the New Testament. If you look at 215, 2 plus 0 plus 1 plus 5 equals 8. 8 is the number of new beginnings. I believe 2015 to be a number of new beginnings. It's, it's the year, I'll say, of new beginnings for LifeSpring. That's what I believe God's telling us. It's a start over. It's a refresh. In any way we want to start it over, we can. But God wants us to do his will. So the application here is that we're in the temple of God, that we are having, and you have four days left to complete whatever whatever it is God's having you complete in 2014. You have four days left for God to complete that in you, whatever it is. And then you're moving on to a new beginning. I believe that for every vessel, every temple in this house. Each one of you are the temple of the Lord. I believe that for each one of you. And I pray it over you. Bow your heads with me, Jesus. I pray a completion over every soul in this room. I pray that in the next four days, that you will complete something that you've started this year and that you will bring it to full perfection Lord God and I ask that every temple in this house that every person responsible for this temple this house called Life Spring and every person responsible for their temple that you have put your name on in baptism Lord God I'm asking that you would complete your works in them somehow in Jesus name and Lord I'm asking that you would bring in 2015 the new beginning that you want each of us to have. The new day, the new health, the new hope. Lord God, the new opportunities. Let the light shine through us. Let us carry your lantern, Lord God, with power and might into a dark world. And let us find, Lord Jesus, someone who needs to see their way. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. God bless you. You can stand with me. We did our altar call already. So I'm going to dismiss you today, but I want you to know this. This is what I want to conclude with. I had so much more, but I don't think I need to preach it, and things kind of changed in the service. But in Revelations 2 and 12, the Bible says, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Sorry about that. It says, where Satan's throne is. also It's also known as Satan's seat. Everyone say Satan's seat. Pergamos in the Bible turned to Pergamum and actually that's now Turkey. Modern day Turkey. And in the 1930s there was a rock structure that jut out in the city and they called it the seat of Satan. And The revelator recognizes that you're building a church. You're doing works in the city where Satan has a throne. Do you understand that? They were, because they had the flame and the power and they were built spirit strong, they had the ability to build a church in a city where Satan was enthroned. In other words if you study it all out you realize that it says that Satan had the ability to live and work freely in that city so so the scripture says and you hold fast to my name that's how important the name is you hold fast to my name and did not deny the faith even the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr Antipas was murdered by the priests that kept the temples of Satan or kept the temples they were actually places where people came to to get healed and they would enter in and they would give them a sedative and they would sleep overnight and they would go into these rooms where there was non-poisonous snakes and they would sleep and the snakes would slither over them during the night and they felt the priests that kept that particular temple which was actually a temple to a particular god, and it's hard to say his name, but the god's name—I um, have to find it. Sorry, was Asclepius or Asclepius? Asclepius. Sorry, it's a Greek god. The ser- it's called the serpent god, but that's the god that they worshipped, and they had these sinners and people would come in, and they would take a drink of a sedative, like probably like some sort of alcohol or something, and it would it would diminish. Their physical, their physical senses so that their spiritual senses would step forward. And that's what happens in a lot of things. When you drink alcohol or when you get high on drugs, you diminish your physical senses and your spiritual senses step forward and that's why you begin to interact with the spiritual world whenever you're doing things that when you're doing substances that's why the bible says to be sober and everything but anyways i'm getting off just a little bit i'm sorry there's so much here and so what happened is they believed that if a snake slithered over you that you would get a dream while you were in that place and then they would go before those ministers uh, the the keepers of the temple of satan they would go before them and they would give them an interpretation of their dream the next morning so all of this took place in this city and they built a church right under their nose in that city where they where satan dwells we don't have satan's seat in brookfield we don't it's, we don't have this going on and people are like you're crazy to build a church. no we're not we have the opportunity to do what what God can only do in this place. We don't have nearly what they have in Revelations where they had Satan's seat. And what's interesting to me, what's interesting to me is the fact that German engineers came in 1930 and they surveyed and looked at the seat or the throne, as it was called, the throne of Satan, as mentioned, it was actually... If, if you understand history you know that Antipas was a faithful martyr he was murdered or martyred on the throne of Zeus the Greek God and so what happens is through that martyrdom the church begins to grow because how can a man give his life for a God that's not Zeus one of the Greek gods or, or not the serpent God and so the church begins to grow and what happens is this Asclepion begins to tell people in their dreams at night that you need to deal with this church because they're hindering the work of Satan in the city. They literally get dreams that, te- and they come back and they tell these priests that you need to deal with Antipas because he's causing the serpent God to not be able to minister or work in the city. They were causing a disruption because they were carrying the light of God and they were temple keepers. They were keeping the temple of the Holy Ghost alive. And so then in 1930, German engineers came and they excavated out the throne of Satan and they took it and they put it in a museum in central Germany right before Hitler came to power. It's no joke. It's no coincidence either that the man that chose to try to extinguish the people of God had the throne of Satan put in their largest museum in Germany where he lived close to the area so I had all of that for you and I wanted to show you that there's so much more to this than just coming to church so much more than, this than just being here today we are hindering the work of Satan in the spiritual world today We're hindering him. We're keeping him from having full opportunity. So let's, I wanted to end with having you all come up and pray for you. And an altar call already happened. So let's end today just by asking God to help us to thwart the throne of Satan in any area of our life. Bow your heads with me if you would. Lord, just like they did in ancient Pergamum, the seat of Satan was set up. I ask you to allow us to pull down strongholds in this city. I know there's not a seat of Satan in this city. There's not a resident throne or a place where he's welcome. But today, I'm asking that you make it possible through our prayer and fasting in 2015, the new beginning we see you giving us, that we would destroy the kingdom of darkness. We would literally dismantle Satan's authority in this city. And we ask it that you do it through all of us rushing into the darkness with our lantern of light. I ask you to do it through all of us not afraid of the darkness. You told us not to be afraid in your word of the darkness but carry the light of God in our life. If there's anyone here who's had the flame go out in their life ignite it again in Jesus' name. That we may all live carrying in the strength and that we might be good keepers of the temple. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen.